Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get your Bible on your lap to Genesis chapter 2. If you're watching from home, uh, grab your Bible and get it in front of you, Genesis chapter 2. And as uh, we start in Genesis 2 today, we need to start with a discussion about anthropology, uh, not, the, not the store in the mall, uh, but the, the study What is anthropology? Anthropology is the study of human beings. It's the study of what it means to be human. And and now, if you you go to a college university, any educational institution, you take a class on anthropology, or, or we also have to understand that in all different subjects, anthropology is woven into a science or a social studies. It it gets at, um, what does it mean to be human? And every discussion about anthropology, every uh, a field of study related to anthropology has to answer this question. It's the origin question. Where did the human being come from? And how that field of study related to anthropology answers that question will dictate a lot about how they go about teaching what it means to be human. Um, we, we, we know this because we said last week this whole idea that um, origins orient. And so understanding the origin or where the human being began and who created man and who created woman, it orients us. To, to orient something is to position it relative to a fixed point. We said a compass orients us to what direction we're going. It shows us where we're at in relation to true north. The book of Genesis orients us. It, it's this story, this, this historical narrative, this true story of how creation began. It's this historical narrative, this true story of how man and how woman came into being. Now, when we take the biblical account of this, when we, when we have a biblical anthropology, it orients us for how we are to live. And so um, last week, we're going through the six days of creation. We come to day six. And on day six, uh, God makes man, he makes woman. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so you see something in this statement right here. There's something unique about the human. The male and the female are created in the image of, in the image of God. This is so foundational to an understanding of creation. What God does in Genesis chapter 2, it's kind of like double-clicking on Genesis 1.27, and God says, now let's spend a whole chapter understanding the human being, understanding how the male and female were created, understanding why the male and female were created. And so here's the awesome thing we get in Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2, as we walk through it today, we're going to be able to pull out four identity-defining truths of being made in the image of God. How does this help us have a rock-solid, bedrock identity of who we are and what our life is all about? This is what we'll glean from Genesis chapter 2. These four identity-defining truths... Um, are going to be puzzle pieces that kind of fit together around this one statement that is the sermon and the sentence. And the statement is this, I am made by the breath of God. 
in the image of God and for the glory of God. All of us in this room are made by the breath of God. We're going to see that. In the image of God. We're going to talk about that. And for a purpose. And that purpose is the glory of God. And on that purpose piece, we're going to kind of zoom in there and go, how do we bring God glory as men, as women? So this is what we're, where we're going today. And so if you're excited for four identity-defining truths from Genesis 2, say, let's go. Let's go. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he, what did he do? And he rested. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So next week, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we look at the seventh day here. We see on the seventh day, God rests. Um, we see throughout the rest of Scripture, when Scripture teaches this, this, this concept, this idea of Sabbath, it always harkens back to the created order. And so next week, I'm so excited, we're going to spend a whole sermon on work and rest. We're going to spend a whole sermon on this six-in-one rhythm in which God has designed us. Well, we're going to see in Genesis 2, God talk about work. Work is good. Say it. It's good. Work got hard as a consequence of the fall, but work is good. And we're going to talk about that. Instead of, instead of stopping today, we, we need to spend a whole sermon on getting right in kind of our American culture on, on the goodness of work and the goodness of rest. Some of us need to hear next week, work is good. Some of us need to hear next week, go home one day, rest, enjoy each other, and enjoy the Lord. And so, you ready? Come back next week. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, keep going. Verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to... So, hey, we should talk about that soon. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man. Here it is now. Here we go. Then the Lord God formed the man of, of what? Of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Be in awe of the word. Thank you. Someone's like, wow. That, that's, they're like, he's waiting for a wow. We're waiting for a wow. We can grow so, I say, right, I tell us this every week. We can grow so familiar to God's word that we don't stop. And then the, and then the man, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostril, breath of life. Did you do your homework assignment last week? Find the dustiest surface in your house. Sweep it into your hand. Look at that. God forms from the dirt. He forms from the dust. And then he breathes the breath of life into the nostrils. 
And the man became a living creature. First identity defining thing of what it means to be an image bearer is this. I have been given life. I've been given life. I've been given life by the breath of God. Given life by the breath of God. Only about the human do we find this said. Only about the human does it say that God breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. It didn't say that about any of the other created things. It didn't say that about the creatures of the sea. It didn't say that about the beasts that walk on the earth. Only the human being is given life by the very breath of God. We are a unique creation. Hear me now. We're not God, but we are made in the image of God. A unique creation for a unique purpose that we're going to talk more about in a little bit. But we need to understand the uniqueness of how God has made us in his image with his very breath. I love this week in the office, we were talking about the fact that human beings are unique to all other creation. And I love what Pastor Mark said. He said, if we ever need a reminder that we're unique... The next time you're at the ocean and you go and watch the sunset at night and you look and all of these other humans are lined up watching, he said, notice that the animals don't do that. The squirrels aren't there like with their sunglasses like, I can't wait to see this, right? (laughs) They don't even notice it. There's something unique about how God has made us as his image multipliers, his image bearers with his very breath in us. Now, let me say this, and I think it's an important thing to say. If you are given life by the very breath of God, your life matters. Your life has significance. And I'm not making this point on some like mumbo-jumbo, self-help, you're awesome type platform. Like gag me on all that. I'm making this point by the fact that when you look and you see that the creator of the universe has spread life into man and woman, our lives matter. They're deeply meaningful. Why? Because the maker of them is that other, that holy, that awesome. And if we're image bearers, that matters because the maker, because of the maker who made it. Think about it like this to illustrate this. If you own an original Van Gogh painting, get it on eBay because that's worth something. Why is it worth something? Because of who made it, who created it. If you're a car person, and you own a car that Carol Shelby had a hand in, like, a direct hand in making and design. If you're not a car person, you're like, who's she? And if you're not a car person, you don't even get that joke. (laughs) But if you're like, Carol Shelby was directly involved in the making, in the last town we lived, a guy in town, Carol Shelby, like, directly designed a personalized car for. That was worth some stuff. Um, If you read like in the listing of a building that's for sale, sometimes you'll see a little line that says, and -and so-and-so designed this building. It's a statement that is supposed to add value because of who designed it. Now listen, if the creator of all the heavens and the earth breathed life into male and female, our lives matter. Every life matters. From conception, life matters. 
because of who made it. Okay, so what? So what? So God breathed life into human beings. That just answers the question how men and women were made. Let's answer the question, what's the purpose of why men and women were made? Why, why do we walk in this existence for the years that God has given us on this earth? Remember our study in Ecclesiastes where again and again we're like, vanity, what's the matter? Why does it matter? Why are we here? What are we here for? Keep reading verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees, come back to those. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pashan. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Now look at this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it. And when are we going to talk more about that? Next week. The Lord God put the man in the garden with a purpose. Work it and keep it. More on that next week. Uh, There's another purpose statement we find in the first two chapters of Genesis. This umbrella purpose statement. I want to point our attention back to uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. God blessed them. And God said to them, what did God say to them? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Second identity defining implication for our lives from Genesis 2 is this. We have been given purpose for the glory of God. Being an image bearer means I have, I'm not only created by God, I'm created on purpose, and I'm created for a purpose. I have been given purpose for the glory of God. We're going to talk more on that one purpose statement on work next week, but I want to talk about this idea of being image bearers to see God's image multiplied across the globe. Um, In the beginning, God makes all of this. Sin has not hindered it. Sin has not tainted it. Sin has not polluted this. Adam and Eve are perfectly imaging the image of God. We're going to flip to Genesis chapter 3. Sin's going to enter the equation, and that picture is broken. It's distorted. It's, It's polluted. It's hindered. And all through scripture, we are going to see God's relentless love for his people to see his image spread and multiply across the globe. Uh, Some chapters down the road, we're going to come across this catastrophic global flood. God's going to preserve one family. This family is going to be saved in an ark. The family will come out of the ark. And what is the first command God gives this family after the flood? Be fruitful and multiply. God, our good father, is going to send his one and only son one day that he might remedy a broken and sinful people back to a holy and perfect God. How? By the son living the perfect life we never could have lived and dying the death we all deserve to die. 
through us, through faith, crying out for this Son, this Savior King, to come save us. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against God. I need you to save me. I have nothing else to cling to. Jesus, come save. The moment we cry out in faith, the moment if you're here and you've never cried out in faith in Jesus Christ to save you, that can happen right here in this room in your seat. For you to say, Jesus, save me. The moment that happens, the old is gone, the new has come. The moment that happens, we are filled by the very Spirit of God. The moment that happens, we are now able to carry forth this mission God has given us of multiplying his image across the globe. And then one day, okay, so we just went creation, we went flood, we went Jesus. Let's talk about that day, that Revelation 21 day, when there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, where God will make all things new. And once again, his image will be perfectly multiplied across his creation Here's, if you're like, what's the purpose of my life? Here's the purpose of our life. Know God and make him known. Multiply his image across the globe. You can only know that you know God if you're in relationship with Jesus Christ. You're like, how do I know? Cry out to Christ in faith today. Tell him today, Lord, come save me. I need rescued. And you're like, okay, okay, I get it. God's big master plan is to see his image multiplied across the nations. You're like, I have no idea how to do that. Let's start with your neighborhood. Multiply his image from your neighborhood out to the nations. Start right in your neighborhood. All right, let's do a little participation time. You ready? Introverts are nervous right now. <laughs> Don't worry. Pull out your phone. If you got your phone with you, pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. Really? I would love that. You'd never hear a preacher say that, right? Pull out your phone. Pull up your map app on your phone. I want you to put your address in. I want you to put your address in. Once your address is in and once that map is settled over your house or your apartment or your dorm, I want you to zoom out enough so you can see your neighbors. And I just want you looking at that as I talk for a minute. I want you looking at the dwelling places of your neighbors. And I want us to ask ourselves, how am I being faithful to multiply the image of God through showing and telling the love of Christ right there in my neighborhood, in my apartment complex, in my dorm? And I know for a lot of us that seems scary and intimidating and daunting. And you're like, I don't even know how to go about doing that. Pastor Corey at our, uh, at our pastor elders and spouse retreat gave us such a great challenge. He says, you know how it starts? Bless someone this week and eat with someone this week. Bless and eat. How many of y'all are going to eat this week? Eat on purpose. Be intentional with who you invite to pull up a chair with you at that table. We can all bless someone this week with our words, with our time, with a gift. Do you want to know the universal bless your neighbor sign? Knock on the door and when they open it, have a plate of cookies waiting for them. You want to talk about how do I start reaching my neighborhood? It starts with a plate of cookies, y'all. We can all do that. 
And from there, the inroads God will give us to multiply his image across our neighborhoods, from there ripple affecting out to our nation, ripple affecting out to our nations. But hey, we have a purpose that Jesus would be made much of. And Jesus is made much of when Jesus' followers make much of him. Let's be faithful to that. All right. Let's kind of zoom out. Big picture. What are we talking about? These are identity-defining realities for us. We said the first one, the life we have is given by the breath of God. We said the second one, we have a purpose. The purpose is to multiply His image, to make much of God. This third one now is really important for us to understand. Uh, Third, being an image bearer means this. I am under the authority of the guardrails of God. I am a person under authority. And now, in our humanity, we can be people who don't love to be under authority. We can have a tendency to stiff-arm authority. We know it when someone comes in and corrects us. And we feel that like, oh. We know it when someone comes in and someone in authority might tell us to do something differently than we would have done. But I want us to notice something. How for our goodness, we are under the authority of God and how he put some authority parameters in place even before sin entered the world. Look at what it says in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall what? You shall not eat. For Why? Why, God? Why shall we not eat of that one? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It just struck me in preparing for this series. I never understood before that God had put some guardrails. God had said no to some things before sin even entered the world. I always was like, of course God puts guardrails in place because we're sinful. He He had said, enjoy the garden. Enjoy it all. Just not that one. And it was in place before sin ever came. What does that teach us about God? What does that teach us about us? It teaches us that we are to be a people under the authority of God, looking at a good God who puts guardrails in place for our good. And this was foundational from the very beginning. What's a guardrail? A guardrail is an instrument for our good, placed in an area of safety to prevent you from going into an area of danger. Let's think about driving. A guardrail is in the safe zone so that you don't cross and get into the danger zone. God has given us some of these in the very foundation of how he created. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Not that one. Don't go there. Why? Because it'll lead to death. And we can often think, oh, those things only came after sin entered the world. No. He made us to be people under his authority, trusting him, trusting the good guardrails that he put in place even before sin sin entered the world. Guardrails bring peace and protection. A few years ago, uh, Erica's parents, uh, for Christmas, we did a skiing trip out in Colorado. 
And so uh, one of the days we loaded up into the uh, vans, we caravan, and I was driving one of them. And we're making our way up the mountain. And on one side of the road, you have mountain. On the other side of the road, you have death, just sheer death. I, I, like, you know, there's a little snow on the road. And I'm like, if we spin out right now, we're dead. Like, it's not just like fender bender, we're dead. You roll down a mountain. And so like all of her siblings, Erica's got a ton of siblings, I don't even know all their names, and they're all talking in the back seat, having a blast. I am sweating bullets, gripping the, the steering wheel, going, if we slide off this road, we're goners. A guardrail there would have brought peace and it would have brought prote- protection. Guardrails bring peace and protection from God. They are gifts from God to us. There is something in the very nature of how God went about creating that lets us know a good God has given good guardrails for our good. And we're subject to his authority on them. His guardrails are good for us. And they are to be obeyed with, here it is, with joy. God is not just some cosmic killjoy. When he says no, he says no for a reason. And it's for our good. And all of us know the pain. Every single one of us in this room all know the pain of having hopped the guardrails before in life out into the danger zone and experienced the pain, death, and hardship that came from it. And we see this in the very created order. Hey, Enjoy it all, not that. Trust me on that, not that. And it reminds us we're people under authority to come joyfully under him as our authority. Okay, last one. So we've said we have life by the breath of God. We're purpose for the glory of God. We're under the authority of the guardrails of God. Now, as Genesis chapter 2 comes to a close, we see God's goodness. And seeing something, for the first time we're going to see God say, That's not, this isn't good. And how God remedies something that isn't good. Look at what it says in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. So everything up to this point. Day one, God said it was made and God said it's good. Day two, God said this, it was made and it is good. All the way down to day six, God makes man and he said, this is very good. Now you come to Genesis 2.18 and God said, this is not good. What's not good? That the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, God's going to make a companion. There's going to be companionship now. But it's really weird kind of what happens next. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Stop. And so God's going to make this companion for man. And God does something intentionally before he just creates woman. He brings every beast that's been created before the man. And Adam names elephant, giraffe, horse, And the whole time, Adam's going, nope, Uh uh-uh, that doesn't seem right, Uh uh-uh. 
And all of the created beasts are paraded before Adam, and it says, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he he made into a woman and brought her to the man, and then Adam said, yes. Literally, that is like in the Hebrew. I'm not kidding. Adam's response is like, yes. And Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife we're both naked and we're not ashamed. Being an image bearer means this fourth thing. I am given companionship by the goodness of God. Now, I want to take this last point. I want to tease it out in three specific ways. I want to tease it out in three specific ways that are important for the culture we live in and are controversial in the culture we live in. And I want you to know, my prayer all week is that the Holy Spirit would take over these moments, that, that we would be able to, that I would be able to teach this in a way that is convictionally clear and direct and compassionately gentle that this would be a Holy Spirit moment of truth and love. But we have to understand, back to all the way to the beginning, this study, this anthropology, the study of human beings, Genesis 2 and the, the end of Genesis 2 has deep, deep, um, a deep, deep ripple effect for how we go about living out this existence as male and as female. And so let me tease this last point out into three uh, different takeaways. The first one is this. Male, males and females are absolutely equal and beautifully complementary. So you look back at Genesis chapter 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Male, female, human beings, equal in the sight of God. You get to Genesis 2 now though, and you go, they are they are the same and they're equal and yet they're different and they're unique. They're, they're to work in complementary ways with each other. The man has specific roles that God has called him to. The woman has specific roles that God has called her to. Beautifully equal in the sight of God. Beautifully complementary towards one another. The man is not like the woman. The woman not like the man. And we have to embrace a biblical understanding of complementarianism. That God has designed us to be equal in His sight and to be wonderfully unique and complementary with one another. It's important for us to get. It's a bit controversial in our culture. Uh, maybe the second implication, a bit more controversial. As you look at this account of how God makes male and how God makes female, it's important for us to recognize this. God, God makes male and God makes female. 
which means only God determines gender. Okay? We do not have the authority to dictate gender. God assigns gender. God makes male and female. It's determined at the chromosomal level. And he's not given us the authority to change that. I want to say that with convictional clarity. And I want to say that with compassionate gentleness. Because I recognize in this very room, there may be people wrestling with gender identity struggles. And yet I stand here and I want to look you in the eye and I want to say the most loving thing I can do in helping with the wrestle of that is to tell you that God made you male or God made you female. And he did that on purpose. And he's got a wonderful purpose in that. And he did that with intentionality for what he wants to do in and through your life. And to fight against that reality is to live a life of fighting against the very nature of how God created you in his wisdom and in his goodness. Now, culture will say to me, culture will shout back at me. Some of you might even want to stand and shout back at me right now. How dare you say that? How dare you tell someone whether they should see themselves as male or female? Who do you think you are? And my answer to that is I am a no one. And that is my very point. I don't get to dictate gender. You don't get to dictate gender. God dictates gender. Anyone here wrestling with this topic, don't stay silent. Don't stay silent. Let us know. My prayer for us as a church is that we are a place that can be convictionally clear on what the Bible teaches and compassionately gentle and walking with you through struggles like this for, for both of us to go on a journey together to come under the authority of the Bible on this, to come under the authority of God on this. Don't stay silent on this. We will walk with you in this. We will love you through this. And the whole time, the prayer is that People that interacted with Jesus, Jesus is like, I don't approve of your thought on that, but, they, they, but they're like, man, he loves us so much in the midst of it. That's the tension we're seeking to walk in here. It's an important, an important reality that we need to come to terms with. And then um, this, last, this last implication coming out of the final point is this. From the very beginning, God defined marriage as man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And then man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's important for us to say that from the very beginning, the biblical definition of marriage has been one man and one woman together for life until death does them part. Which means that as Christians, we cannot embrace any definition of marriage that is not one man, one woman, till death does them part. Again, I look at our congregation and I say, if you're struggling in same-sex attraction, 
We want to be a place that's convictionally and clear on what we believe the Bible says about this for our good and is compassionately gentle to come alongside and to journey with you in pursuit of bringing our lives into conformity of what God says here. But Genesis 120, uh, Genesis uh, 2.24 is kind of the John 3.16 of marriage verses. This is how God has designed it to be for our good and for his glory. And so it's important that we wrestle with those implications. Now, I, I want to I pull us out of this moment. I want you to stand to your feet as I do. I literally want you to stand to your feet. I want to pull us out of this moment. We have to wrestle with the implications of a teaching like Genesis 2 and how it comes to bear on the culture in which we live, how that's been distorted and, 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 and turned into different ways. But I want to pull us out of this now and I want us to see again this big picture of what we've just done through Genesis 2, what we've done by pulling out these four identity-shaping, identity-defining. And man, if you're a teenager in the room, I'm praying that your anthropology, big word for you to learn today, your understanding of what it means human is fundamentally shaped by what we find in the book of Genesis and not by anything else that people might tell you. But what has happened today? We've just been told that our life comes from God. And if he's the maker of it, it matters. There's value to it. We've just been told today that our life has purpose that when we get up and work, and whatever work looks like for you, that God is worshipped in that, that we are to multiply his image from the neighborhood to the nations. It tells me that we're under his authority, that we're to submit to his good guardrails put in place for our good. And it tells us who we are. The very basic, fundamental fact that he has made us male or he has made us female and it tells us what the pursuit of companionship is to look like in our life we are made by the breath of god in the image of god for the glory of god and now we leave church to go live with that as a banner over our life redeemer you loved you're sent we'll see you next